Navigating the Storm, Episode 10, Huggers Not Handshakers. Welcome to today's episode. I'm Anna Knight, a cat-loving bookish nerd who also just happens to be a personal development coach. I help women and non-binary people survive the storms that life throws at them and come out the other side stronger and more authentically them than ever. On this podcast, I chat to people who've survived some storms already, so I ask them about their stories, what they've learned, and the advice they have for people walking the same path. My guests aren't necessarily famous, although Beyonce is always welcome to pop on for an episode, but I'm here to talk to real people about the things that matter to them. Today I'm talking to Stephanie Ward. She's one of the essential members of my Facebook community, Port in the Storm. Now Steph is many things to me. She's a friend, she's a coachee, she's my virtual assistant, and she's also one of the co-founders of our charity project, the Jack Ward Inclusion Initiative. But most of all, I've invited her on because she's an absolutely genuine, loving and inspiring person that I have in my life. Her thoughts on disability, inclusion, and how she shifted her mindset to get stuff done will hopefully get you seeing things from a slightly new angle. Hi Steph, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Absolutely, so I'm Steph. I have a little boy who's eight who has autism and let's just say I had put my entire life on hold because of that. I decided about a year and a half ago to get back on the horse and start doing things and I have a little community group and I have a blog and I just do a little bit of everything just to keep myself busy you know. Yeah I love that you've kind of rather than step into like that predefined role you've kind of built yourself a role of a life that works for Steph. Well, yeah, that's it. I mean, the life I had before wasn't working. I'd just had surgery. I was in a total pity party state, feeling sorry for myself because I couldn't walk. And I just thought, you know what it is? I've had enough of being just a pity party. I want to be more. So I just started building things up a little bit at a time, saying yes to opportunities when I would normally say no, saying no to things when I would usually say yes, usually to things that were taking up my time that weren't in line with the journey. And yeah, it's made a huge difference to my life. I feel like I've got it all. And as I approach my 30th birthday in three weeks, I honestly feel like I've achieved something in my life for the first time ever. Wow, fab. So like a big shift just in time for this big birthday then. Well, yeah. You know what it is? When you're a teenager, you kind of think people who are 30 have it all. Like I would look at people when I was 10 and people who were 30 had a house and a husband and a child and all of these things. They would have good jobs and they would have degrees and be successful. And actually, I've come to realise that success is different for everybody everyone defines their success differently and yes I've got the house and a lovely boyfriend and an ex-husband because I think everyone's got to have an ex-husband before the 30 or they haven't done it right um (laughs) and I have a fabulous little boy who's you know happy as anything and I'm finally just getting started to do things for me and it feels right to be doing this I feel like I'm at an age where people are going to take me seriously if I start to do these things now I feel like I'm going in at 30 with everything that I worried I didn't have at 29 it's ridiculous but Mm. it's amazing what difference a year can make to your life yeah definitely like 12 months feels like such a short space of time but actually like you say the changes that you can make in even 12 weeks let alone 12 months can be massive well exactly I mean I only met you what 
just over 12 months ago mm-hmm. and I started my coaching about 13 months ago. Yeah. And yeah, the transformation with coaching was just absolutely amazing. Let's like say 12 weeks, the change in my mindset and the way I felt about situations and people, I'm so much more chill than I was. Like I used to be such a stress head and now I'm just like mellow as hell. It's interesting though, isn't it? Like you talk about that before and after. What was it like when you were in the before stage? Well, I didn't realise the before was as bad as it was. And obviously you'll know yourself when we did the power types questionnaire for me, the numbers weren't that great. You know, I was just totally underexpressed in pretty much everything. No area of my life was in balance. And it wasn't really until I started doing the coaching and going through what was going on that actually I realised how bad things had been. So before, I think I was just tired all the time and I was very much stuck in a rut. I didn't know how to drive things forward and I didn't have a hold of the right energies that I needed for people to take me seriously. I think everyone just thought I was a joke at first. Just some single mom coming out of the woodwork and trying to change the world with absolutely no idea what she's doing. But when I found the energy, actually, you know... It just showed me that there was a lot more to me than there was in the before. Mm-hmm. It was there, don't get me wrong. Everything that's come out of me was already there, but I think I very much just shoved it in a box and let sad, depressed, disabled Steph take the front line. And I let my disability define me a lot. And I think that was quite a big problem for me. Yeah, and it's so easy to do when you get that confirmation, particularly after such a long fight of trying to get people to take you seriously, that there is something going on with your body anyway. I feel like in those kind of first few months, years of it, it's so easy to become defined by it and to use it as a yardstick to can I do this, yes or no. And actually, like you say, it keeps us stuck some of the time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I started getting pain when I was 15 years old and put it down with glandular fever to start off with like a post-glandular fever kind of infection. But the glandular fever test never actually came back positive. They just said, oh, well, we think it's that, but we can't get a test to see it. But yeah, for 15 years, I've been in pain. And it wasn't until five years ago anyone actually noticed that I had hip dysplasia. So I've got a fibromyalgia diagnosis, which I don't think's correct. Because now my hip dysplasia has been corrected. I'm not in pain anymore. <laughs> I still have the fatigue and stuff, which you would get after if you'd had glandular fever, like an ME type of thing. But yeah, I mean, for ages, I just fibromyalgia defined me. I was the tired sad pain friend and now I'm not in pain anymore I actually can't believe the change in me and I think just because I was misdiagnosed they weren't giving me decent painkillers so I was in pain and now they fixed the problem that was causing the pain I feel like it doesn't define me anymore because it's not there constantly like I think when you're in pain it's constantly there defining you reminding you that you are disabled and you can't do the things that you want to do but when your health's managed and actually everything's in control you're not as aware of it Like, it's not there anymore. It's kind of just like an electrical hum in the background. And it doesn't remind you 24 hours a day that you're disabled. I feel now that my health is taken care of properly that I can accomplish anything. And I wish I could just rub this feeling off onto other people, you know, because there's a lot of people who are not okay at the moment with the health who aren't being listened to. And I just wish I could say to them all, it does get better once finally they find what's wrong. It does get better. Yeah, I was reading a book the other day and its title is Pain Woman Takes Your Keys. And it's talking all about what you're like when you're living with that chronic pain. But even just the name of it, Pain Woman, I resonated so much with that idea of when you're in the unmanaged, unexplained symptom stage, that can feel like 
your identity. Yeah, I used to compare fibromyalgia to like a frenemy. Like it goes everywhere I go. It follows me around and keeps me company everywhere I am. But it's kind of the friend that takes your clothes shopping and then says, you look too fat in that dress, love. <laughs> That's how I found it. I found it was just like everything I did, it put a dampener on it or it ruined mm. it for me. Yeah, it's like having something stalking you almost, following you everywhere, determining what you can and can't do. And I think it's almost like somebody's turned around to the front of me and said, and you can shut your face because it doesn't say the things that it used to say anymore. And I think a lot of that is me fighting back. My mindset is fought back against what I determined for myself based on what I knew about the health condition. Yeah, and that's the thing, isn't it? When they hand you this leaflet that goes, you've got fibro or you've got hip dysplasia, it's tempting to actually just internalise what's on that leaflet. Like you say, the what you're told it means to have fibro. Mm -hmm. One of the shifts I remember us talking about back when we started working together was the idea of living alongside the conditions rather than living with it, of going, yeah, there's stuff that my body needs to be able to keep functional, but at the same time, it's not the one in charge anymore. There's actually a new boss in town. Yeah, exactly. It's like, I think I've said to you before, like, something you always say is everything starts with replenishment. And that's an idea I've very much taken into everything in my life now. So I know I have these things going on. Today I woke up, I'm in pain. So rather than feel miserable thinking about my pain and thinking, oh, you know, everything sucks. I wrote a to-do list based around what I could do without getting out of bed. Mm. So I knew I could have what I needed while doing what I had to do. Yeah. I think it's all about managing. You get used to, after a long time of being ill, you get used to what's going on with you and how to better control and what to give your body to make it work. So today I read the rest of a book I've been trying to read for ages, which was a really good start to the day that really kind of just got me in a good frame of mind and made me forget about my pain for a little while. I pulled together some resources for a client. I did some documents for getting my charity registered. And then I had a review for one of my other clients. And I've done all of that from my bed. So my body's got what it's got, but also my mind has got what it needed as well. Yeah, because that's the thing, isn't it? Sometimes your mind is in a place of going like, yeah, let's go. I want to get stuff done. And your body's there going, oh, everything is uncomfy. So it's such a good trick to adjust your to-do list to meeting your body's needs and your brain's needs. It takes away some of that powerless feeling, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I think for a lot of people who are sort of our kind of age who have chronic illnesses, there is a disconnect between your mind and your body because Mm -hmm. we're used to being these busy, busy women who are doing all of this stuff Before I was really taken over by my disability, I had a toddler who was probably autistic, turned out he was autistic, and I was at university and I was working and I was running a house and I had all of these things going on. And for my body to finally be like, ha, enough's enough one day, my mind has never given that idea up that I have to be busy all the time. So it's very difficult for me, and I'm sure it is for everyone else out there, that you've got the mind that wants to do all these things and the body that's just like... It's almost like being encased in concrete and your mind is going at all this speed wanting to do things. Coaching has definitely helped me to kind of unite the two a little bit, kind of give one what it needs that the other one can do what it wants. Like the words that came into my head just then were like, you have a badge of busyness, right? Like you say, you're not just doing one thing, you're doing 10 things and you're trying to do them all brilliantly because if you let one of them go, then what if everyone realises that you're an imposter and you shouldn't be here? So like you say, the list of stuff that you're trying to accomplish all at once is huge and the only kind of tool is pushing through and then there is that moment where your body just goes, no, like we're not doing this anymore. 
Yeah, imposter syndrome was quite a big thing for me as well, especially when coming in all of the things that I do now. I went from being somebody who just rested all the time because that's what my body needed. I didn't know how to be both or how to be everything I want to be. When I first came in all this, I felt like I was going to be discovered at any time, which brought in quite a lot of additional stress to me. Obviously, now I know that like I am who I am. I know what I want and this is how I'm going to get it. But there was a period of time between coming out of the I am disabled mindset and coming into the I can do anything mindset where I was kind of in the middle thinking, "Ah, someone's going to catch me out. I'm going to lose everything overnight because they're going to realize that I don't know what I'm doing. And that never happened. But it's just it's a fear that's always there, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we talked on last week's episode about how those imposter feelings they can really get in your way and stop you doing stuff. Was there anything that helped you keep going when you were having those feelings? Honestly, I think it was what I do, my group that I was trying to start at the time, was supporting families of children with special needs. So what kept me going was thinking of what would happen to those families if I wasn't there. Mm-hmm. If I wasn't there running the group, offering that little bit of respite to the five or six mums that were turning up each week, what would happen to them? Where would they get their respite instead? And there isn't really a lot of places where they could go and just have someone to talk to. So that really drove me forward, thinking, you know what it is? It doesn't matter what people think of me. It doesn't matter if they think that I'm absolutely god-awful useless. At the end of the day, I am needed. I am running a good service. I am doing something that people want. And I'm not going to give up no matter what people think of me. And it was kind of an epiphany moment, you know, when you're just sitting there and you think, I'm actually doing a good job here. Yeah. And what I'm hearing, Steph, is there's that, vision aspect to it as well of you saw the need you knew that there was no one else out there filling that need for what started as that group of five or six mums and so that is something that can keep your motivation going when you're moving towards a vision towards a purpose yeah I think it's very important to have a vision for the future like knowing what you want to do where you want to be you know everyone talks about a five-year plan ten-year plan I don't think that far ahead because a lot can change in a month three months six months I prefer to have a view for sort of the next three to six months where do I want to be in three to six months mm-hmm. because growth can either be exponential or it can be not there at all and I think for my group, if I try to plan five years into the future, it would be too much for me to consider. I have a vision for it, but I've got to keep it within what my brain can process right now. And I know that my group will still be here in a year, so I'm going to focus on the next year. I'm not going to take on any tasks that don't fit with the vision, because if it doesn't fit with the vision, what's the point in doing it? Mm-hmm. Like, if something isn't fitting with where you're going, why are you saying yes to it? That's something you taught me, actually. I used to volunteer at St. Oswald's Hospice, and due to my hip surgery and stuff, I had to resign my post. And, and I remember ringing you saying, I'm gutted, I've had a leave and you're like but is it in line with the vision and while I'd been there for four years it's no longer in line with the vision that's a change I had to make yeah and I remember talking at the time where we were saying it's not that it's not worthwhile project obviously the work St Oswald Children's Hospice do is so needed it's amazing the work they do is amazing there but that can be someone else's vision because yeah. we're not out there operating in a vacuum, like knowing what your purpose as Steph is versus my purpose as Anna versus the people at St. Oswald's. Like, we can all kind of move forward together. Whereas, like you say, I think if we try and spread ourselves between eight visions, we're too overwhelmed and we just don't move forward. Yeah, that's it. Like, now, I mean, since my group's kind of taken off, 
and I've kind of let go of a few projects that I wasn't getting involved with as well as taking on a few more but there's things I've had to just say no to because we're just going to be far too busy with the Jack Ward Inclusion Initiative I mean we're doing peer support phone calls every single day now people need us for that so we need to make the time for that rather than focusing on something that just doesn't fit with what comes with the next step you know so tell us a little bit more about that we've mentioned your parents support group and you started with five or six mums it's grown a lot since then where are you heading well um so during lockdown we put out online membership forms that people from anywhere could sign up and membership just grew we had about 20 families registered we've got nearer 100 families registered now we've got people who are just contacting us all the time for help so what we've been doing during lockdown, we've been doing doorstep drops. We had a unicorn, a minion and a fairy going round to the houses and taking little presents for the children and the mums and the dads or the grandparents just to make them feel like they're actually, were there for them, they're still wanted, they're still loved, we've still got their back no matter what. But the next step is that we want to have a project that helps all the vulnerable people, not just the parents of children with special needs. So the Jack Ward Inclusion Initiative is going to adopt additional needs and disabilities parenting support group but it means that when we're getting people like we get a lot of lgbt people in our area who are autistic and they're a bit like ha ah, autistic and lgbt very too much we can help them as well we will have services that can help people who are in poverty people who are elderly we're looking to help everyone who's vulnerable in our area and kind of just bring them out from the margins and bring them into the center and make them feel like the most important people in the world because that's what you've got to do everyone deserves to feel like they're cherished and they're precious and it's just a shame that not everybody does you know yeah and that's such a good point as well that a lot of time people aren't just fitting into one box they fit into several boxes and then you can kind of see how that feeling of isolation can grow not just autistic but also lgbt it's another step away from what feels like society's acceptable bounds. And one of the things about the project that's really important for me is that no matter what task or activity we're doing, that inclusion is at the heart of it. It's bringing back that sense of community that I think we've all kind of seen in bits and pieces over COVID, but really trying to bring it back into the fabric of our communities again yeah definitely like the thing is for me is that children aren't taught how to include people who are different people who are different are taught how to interact with people who are already included and it shouldn't be like that we should be teaching people who are neurotypical or who fits within the boundaries of what society deems to be normal how to look after and respect and bring into the fold the people who differentiate from our norms as it were not that you can call anybody normal these so thinking then about how we're making this happen, you talked a little bit before about what your power types were like before coaching. And obviously through coaching, you've got access to a lot more of those archetypes that can help you make your difference. But one of the ones that I know you'd mentioned wanting to focus on today was the sorceress. When you started, Sorceress was something that you were like, oh, not for me. Not really in touch with her. No, the Sorceress was more of the like box of photos in the back of the cupboard that I wouldn't really look at because it didn't really hold my interest. Mm -hmm. But yeah, like all my power types have become stronger as a result of coaching. It goes without saying, you know, I've developed this whole kind of warrioress and mother kind of combination that I call the castle, which I use for taking into like meetings and things like that. But the Sorceress 
kind of that's what's given me the whole laid back approach that I never really had before I wasn't chill at all and the sorceress kind of gives me the leave it to the universe kind of attitude that helps me to relax and helps me not to be the constant like switched on aggressive fighting for everybody person because if I go into a meeting with castle mode on and I'll go and I'll be like this is what we need we want this done this done and this done by this date that's great I can't do any more than that that's me done so when I leave there I kind of embrace my sorceress and be like if it happens it happens if it doesn't it doesn't and we'll cross that bridge when we come to it sorceress for me has also helped me spot little things falling into place Mm -hmm. so for a while I've been wanting to actually go as a virtual assistant I've been doing virtual assistant work on and off for years I've done things such as proofreading and editing documents for tribunals um, fantasy fiction done a bit of everything you know but my sister needed some help with her business and so I I said yes when I would normally have said no because you know that was my new thing at the time and I ended up doing some work for her and actually I was that it was that good that she wanted to keep me on doing more things then my mum came and she's like well actually I've got my business but I'm really really sucky at the social media could really use the hand to drive forward I'm willing to pay you and then more and more like just little bits here and there have been kind of coming out of the woodwork and I think if I hadn't opened myself up to that with my sorceress and left it to the world left it to the universe I wouldn't have had the opportunities I'm getting my little groups you know I've just I haven't applied for funding for my little group as of yet. I've just left it at the universe and I've never, ever gone without. The group has never struggled. We've gotten freebies from various places. We managed to crowdfund some money. And that's because I just left it up to the universe. I did my part, but there's only so much I can do. So just leaving it to be taken care of. It works. People don't believe it works. It absolutely works. Yeah, and I I love what you say, Steph, about there's two phrases to it, right? Of There's the leaving it up to the universe But there's also the, you've done your part, you know what your part is. And I think it's really important to have that balance between the two, that it's not just some airy-fairy, oh, I'm sure the universe will take care of it so I don't have to do anything. It's, I've done my part to set it in motion, and now I'm passing it on with the, the faith that it's going to happen if that's what needs to happen. Yeah, like, if you don't do your part... So it's almost like if you go to work and didn't do any work, you can't expect a wage. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? If I have something that I need help with from the universe, I make sure I've done everything I can to make it happen. And the little bit extra comes from the universe. So I've been offered extra direct payment clients. And I didn't, I wasn't even going to build on that, but I wanted to make more money. And I've explored the avenues I can explore. I've put my information out there for people. I've done what I can, but I can't bring the I can't bring the clients into me. They have to find me. So I've just left it to the universe. If I get them, I get them. If I don't, I don't because something else is going to come up. You know, I never really trusted my instincts because I think the way I was brought up, I never really kind of had a lot of like autonomy. A lot of things were kind of, you have to do this and this and this and this. My grandparents and parents were quite strict and I had a very rigid way of, this is what you are going to be and this is what you're going to do. So I never really had the universe to leave it up to because it was all up to me. So to actually leave some of the doing to somebody else has been a really big step for me. Mm-hmm. Believing in the sorceress and believing in the power that I can't do any more than I've already done. If it's going to happen, it'll happen. 
that was a really big change for me. Like, I never saw it coming, I'll be honest with you. Like, Sorceress was not something I ever thought I would get on board with. And now it's my strongest power type, so go figure. And I think, like you say, there's this misconception, I think, out there with the Sorceress power type that it's about all the witchy woo-woo stuff. And, like, if you're into that, that's totally cool. But sometimes it is just recognising when the pieces are coming together and you go, oh, okay, here's a thing. Or recognising something in a person and being like, right, this is a person that needs to come into my bubble. And it really strikes me that when we first started talking about the sorceress and you were there going like, oh, I'm not sure. I don't really know if I believe in all of this kind of stuff. Thinking of our connection in terms of like, yes, we met through my speech therapy work and then you did coaching with me. But actually, when we traced it back to the the point where I had been on the interview panel for your university course years and years ago, like it does just kind of make you see that sometimes there are people at the universe that's like, will you two just finally connect? Well, <laughs> Come this on. Is it. I honestly couldn't believe when we realized that I honestly could not believe it at all. But when I saw you were doing your speech therapy stuff and delivering the course that we were in, I think it was the um, pathological demand avoidance. And mm-hmm. I was listening to you and I'm thinking, I could be friends with this person. She looks like a friend. I think she's a friend. And then the next one I came to, Mel was there, your partner. And I thought, Mel also looks like a friend. I will befriend these people. I'm going to talk to Mel and then I can be friends with both of them and they can be my friends and they can be my people and I will keep them <laughs> as my people. And I went a little bit weird, not going to lie, but I totally wanted to be you guys friends because I knew that I needed you guys and your energy to be mm-hmm. in my life because I knew good things would come from that and I just had a feeling but I didn't link that to sorceress back then I just thought oh you know met some people like the people befriend the people yeah. and actually looking back you know like there was a reason we met and clearly mm. it was for all of this fun stuff that we're doing now so yay yeah So yeah, definitely, it's about listening to those little kind of thoughts in your brain of like, oh yeah, I should do this, or I need to friend that person. Yeah, it's like a nudge. It's like someone's nudging you into, go on, go on, get yourself. You know, like when you're about to get on stage and you're really nervous and someone's just like, go on, off you go. Mm -hmm. That's what it feels like. It feels like someone's just there reminding you that it's it's okay, go on, get yourself away. Yeah. Oh, I love that as an image. Yeah, it's like having a little buddy. (laughs) Little little buddy on your shoulder giving you a nudge. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like that. Fab. So thinking about the people out there who are listening to this, Steph, if they're out there hearing a little nudge going, I need a Steph in my life, how will they find you? Where are you at online? Everywhere. Um, <laughs> no, seriously, I- I'm not. We use the at tag of the Jack Ward II, so T-H-E, Jack Ward I. I and that's how you can find us you can find us with that on Instagram or on Twitter or on Facebook and drop us an email it's just the jackward ii at gmail.com and someone will get back to them like pretty much same day as as long as it's within reasonable if you email us at 11 o'clock I'm gonna be asleep right (laughs) you know very quick on the mark to reply we've got five of us who are able to help out at the minute so yeah, if people think like this person can help me, I mean, I'm very well connected as are all the other girls. So if I don't know somebody who can help you, one of the others will. If you have a child with special needs or if you're struggling with money and need to know how to access things like benefits or if you're just a little bit like, huh, life, help, 
every time someone comes in the door, I hug them. I want them to feel that someone cares. So I really hope that we can expand to reach everyone who we want to reach because isolation is an awful thing. Once you get isolated, it can be hard to come back from that. I watched a TED talk a while ago about a guy who did an experiment with a rat and he put a rat in a cage with a bottle full of water and a bottle full of heroin. And the rat tended to prefer the bottle full of heroin. So it drank all the water and died of a drugs overdose. So actually someone did a second experiment. They thought the first experiment wasn't exactly a true experiment because the rat had two choices, but he had nothing else in his cage. It was boring. There was nothing to interact with. So he chose the drugs because it was the only thing that brought him fun. So they made a rat paradise and put loads of rats in so the rats could socialise and they could play games and they could eat food together. Out of the cage of hundreds of rats, only about two of them actually tried the heroin water. And it just goes to show that when when someone has a fulfilling life with meaning in it, they're less likely to make bad choices. The same principles apply to human. If you give a human who is in a dark place, if you give them meaning to their life, give them a reason to get out of bed in the morning, come out and do things to help other people, they're not going to turn to drugs and alcohol and negative choices because they're going to have a nice, happy alternative. Because like you say, they've got the other things that are helping them. Because actually, I've heard a lot of people say to me lately that they haven't spoken to anyone over lockdown. That they've had conversations with their postman and that's it. If they've been shielding or for whatever reason, really limiting leaving the house even outside the coronavirus restrictions. And I think kind of as we come out the other side of COVID, it's actually inclusion's going to be... A bigger need than ever in terms of our services towards other people. So yes, there's always going to be someone at the Jack Ward Inclusion Initiative who will help you. We don't leave any man behind as a general rule. So everyone who calls, we will take you on. Whatever your need, whatever you want, we've got your back and we're not going to let you down because... Everyone needs that someone that that can hold the space for them and that they can lean on when they need it. And we can be that shoulder that you need to cry on. We're here for you. We're huggers, not handshakers. Yeah. We're ready with a hug, a cup of tea, and about five different people we can signpost you to. Absolutely. I mean, before the pandemic, everyone who walked into my little community group, everyone got a hug. Literally everyone. I remember one time there was a mum came for the first time and she was clearly quite nervous. And I was like, come on, bring it in. And she's like, mm hugs i'm like come on you're getting one and i totally just like stole a hug from this poor girl she looked terrified but actually she's come to be a really good friend she engages with the group quite a lot and we've been there for each other you know like i think one thing that i really like what we do is that everyone once you're part of us everyone supports everybody else mm-hmm. we all look out for each other and it's a nice place to be it's like a family you need us everyone needs a jack ward inclusion initiative in their life so true Well, if you couldn't tell, I had so much fun recording this episode with Steph. I'm sure that you all agree there's a lot to change in the world and it can seem really overwhelming. So if you're wanting to bring a bit more of the sorceress energy to your day, you might want to start by introducing a gratitude practice. Our brains have this wonderful trick called confirmation bias. We see evidence that supports our mindset more easily than anything that contradicts it. So when we're in that hard place, whether that's with your health or isolation or something different, we see all the things that are keeping us there. A gratitude practice can help us retrain our brains to look for different information. 
by looking daily for good things that have happened or those nudges from the universe that Steph mentioned and all the positive things in our life, we find we start to notice them more and more naturally. So I personally use a method called thinking and thanking. If you want more details on how to do that, please get in touch. Next week, we'll be talking to Tell Irby. Tell's a DJ, radio presenter. She founded an amazing feminist black-led community interest company called Sister Shack, which focuses on working with and promoting women entrepreneurs and creatives. And alongside all of that, she's also currently setting up a young woman's network for Newcastle's Angelou Centre, which aims to support and empower black and minoritized women with the skills and tools needed to navigate their way through life. I can't wait to hear what she's got to say. Navigating the Storm is hosted by Anna Knight and produced by Anna Knight and Mel Robinson. 